Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Somewhere among Costa Rica, the Pyrenees Mountains, Portugal, and Tennessee, Dr. Gaylord Brewer, a professor in the Department of English, found ample inspiration for the poetry of The Feral Condition, his latest publication from Negative Capability Press. The wonder, beauty, and goriness of nature are all fair game for these poems, and Brewer doesn't pull back when it comes to describing all aspects of flora and fauna, human and animal, life and death. We'll explore the feral condition after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. A new live entertainment venue on the MTSU campus will be named the Chris Young Cafe to honor the multi-platinum Nashville entertainer's continued support of his alma mater. MTSU President Sidney McPhee at an event July 9th at the Country Music Association headquarters on Music Row thanked Young for lending his name and giving $50,000 for renovations. The cafe, located in a standalone dining building and surrounded by residence halls, will be a teaching and practice place for student performers and technicians during the day and a performance venue at night for music, radio broadcasts, comedy, and other entertainment. Young, who attended MTSU in 2005, has an impressive list of accomplishments, including membership in the Grand Ole Opry, 2 billion on-demand streams, 12 million singles sold, and 11 career number one singles. And MTSU recently dedicated the Lucinda Taylor Lee Learning, Teaching, and Innovative Technologies Center in honor of the person whose vision brought the instructional support resource to fruition 15 years ago. Lee, MTSU Vice President Emeritus for Information Technology and Chief Information Officer, was honored at a special ceremony June 17th at the Center on the third floor of the James E. Walker Library. MTSU President Sidney McPhee praised Lee, who served the university from 1973 to 2010, for her passion in pushing or creation of the Center, known on campus as the LT and ITC. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Gaylord, welcome. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jenna. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for that nice introduction. Since you've uh, separated the poems by geography, let's start with Portugal, since it's first in the book. Uh, there, there's so many poems about nature that use shiny words to describe beauty in the section you talk of uh, blood augury uh, crushing an egg and wondering what it might have been had it become a chick and eating a rabbit's head could you describe your creative process (laughs) (laughs) and what was going through your mind as you you wrote these poems well i don't know if this separates portugal per se but i've been fortunate to do a lot of writing residencies internationally Mm -hmm. there are some lovely places and some lovely and supportive people Um, but i tend toward the ones that are a bit more rural Mm-hmm. And also one tends to have a lot of time on one's hands during the day. So um, to just sort of walk around and see what happens and wait for serendipitous moments. And I found that I was having a lot of those in little intersections with uh, wildness or the feral or whatever you might want to call it. And they took a lot of different forms. Um, the place in Portugal was particularly uh, appropriate and useful for that. It was a really lovely place out in the middle of nowhere with a lot of good walking in a lot of different directions. And I had a lot of time with animals and insects, and as you mentioned, flora and fauna also. So when I, when I was putting the book together, my last book, Country of Ghosts, was thematically a very tight book. Uh, you, 
it was almost a, almost a concept book, you might call it, with this ca- recurring character. But you always want some kind of little through line for the books. And I had a lot of new poems. So here's a rambling answer to your first question. I had a lot of new poems, and I had a lot of different iterations of the manuscript. And then one day I thought, you know what? What if I just pulled out all the poems in which the speaker has these little strange private and yet one would hope universal encounters with whatever the case may be, a beetle, um, an un born egg, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever the case might be. And I, put, I threw them all together, and I thought the result was kind of quirky and interesting. So that's what we end up more or less going for with the book. Yeah. Uh, when we get to the Pyrenees, to me, uh, none of your poems outlines the juxtaposition between the beautiful and the deadly as clearly as exquisite human suffering. And if uh, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like for you to read that one for me. Sure, I'm very intrigued that you, you you're suggesting already that you you're noticing distinctions between the different landscapes and how how they're approached in the book. I can't say that I um, mm-hmm. consciously well, articulated that, but I think one reason I grouped them together is because I did sense instinctively that they probably did have their own kind of unity or integrity as groups. Mm-hmm. The fishwoman hoses the gore from her slab, slaps another carcass onto marble, and resumes precise knife work. Displayed on ice, a single lobster twitches a leg. Drooping antenna shifts a fraction, one bulbous eye rotates. It's unrestricted but going nowhere under the fluorescence and measuring gaze except to the boiling sea of pain, its destiny. Butter and a squirt of lemon. At that price, though, the slow freezing, the suffocation will meanwhile continue. Let's ignore the routine hell of flies haloing the donkey's nostrils and mouth. They're not pretty. And do we not seek the picturesque, a narrative of consolation? Let us confide as if to a dull child in admiration for her fine sculpted ears. But where the bridle soars the cheek, layers of complacent flies ruin our scene. A crawling poultice of suffering, undeterred in the savor of flesh. Meanwhile, the Jenny's dark eye searches, finds us wanting. No further comment regarding ears or the sweet summer grass's abundance. This, the world in its awful beauty. On our nature hike, we wistfully misname one plucked blossom after another. Poked with walking stick, the ants rush from their cities of dung, a fascinating and complex society. We crush hundreds, whole generations without even trying. Unavoidable if we're to continue on the trail. What choice but that the big lives stomp the small, There, just ahead, a spotted fawn shoulder-high in mountain clover. A goldfinch greets with melancholy song. Meanwhile, every step another bloodbath. We don't even think as we're walking along that we're killing something, you know, unless we swat a mosquito on Mm. our arm or something Mm. like that. And the, the, we... Life isn't just all prettiness. Some of it is ugly. But it's interesting. We don't respect the ugliness in nature. If we are in love with someone, even their imperfections become lovable, a little mole on the shoulder or, you know, something like that. But the imperfections in nature, like a sore on a donkey, we we don't see as part of the overall beauty. I think that's very well said. Uh, and I also I believe you can detect in that poem some not-so-subtle jabs at maybe some of the romantic conceits that you will see poking out of so-called nature poems, mm-hmm. romantic nature poems. Right. Um, 
that kind of undermines, as you point out, what, what perhaps some of the real beauty of it is and the truth of it is, the hard truth of it is. We'll take a break here. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Tennessee Employment Relations Research Association, or TERA, gives labor relations specialists and academics a chance to share their views and their data. TERA wants academics and other interested in human resources and industrial relations to work together at meetings and conferences to strengthen the workplace. Many MTSU faculty belong to TERA, which has members in 20 states and 7 nations. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Gaylord Brewer is our guest. We're talking about his latest book of poetry, The Feral Condition. Uh, you have several encounters with creatures, a bird, kittens, beetle. You mentioned the beetle and with flowers. And many of them take note of the passage of time, you know, the acknowledgement that nothing lasts forever. You can right. cut a flower off and present it to someone and, you know, oh, isn't that pretty? But eventually it will wither and die. Expand on that right. a little bit. Well, you, you know, you mentioned that. I think there are t- no less than two wild iris poems in the book. Um, about sort of seeking out what remains of them in the fields up in the Pyrenees. And I, I don't think you have to be um, a poet to recognize the pretty straightforward metaphor of the cut flower mm-hmm. as something that, 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 that strikes a chord, Yeah, you know, of, of, of taking the, going out and seeking out this thing and something of the arrogance of, let's face it, this, this is not a thing of beauty until I, until I find it, extract it, and announce it as such, right? right. Which uh-huh. is terribly arrogant. Yeah. But there's something to in, of that in the conceit. And then... And then, then, then the clock is on to their their demise, right? And even that has a certain kind of beauty to it. If you look at uh, garden books, some of them focus on flowers that are already sort of decomposed, the kind of luxuriousness right. of the rose coming apart or something like that. So it's all, that's all part of that game, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. What do the references to Sweeney Astray in the book mean? Um, I'm, I, I can't, when I was up in, the, up in the mountains, I, merely, I came across um, – Seamus Haney's translation or adaptation of the Sweeney story, and um, uh, and it, it's, he's a character who sort of spoke to me, and so he and I had engaged in a couple of a couple of poems. He also had his issues with uh, with people and also with nature uh, in his in his myth. So I, I, it was it was working. I was up there, mm-hmm. and uh, he he showed up. He showed up a couple of times, and then I kind of shut him up. I didn't want to talk about it anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> One of the things I like about reading this book is, uh, you know, you don't it, it's uh, you don't need footnotes dissected. <clears throat> it's not T. S. Eliot. You don't have to go. You know, what does footnote number thirty two mean? I, I, it really irritates me if, when I pick a book of poem and it has end notes or footnotes. I don't know about you, I, I, a yeah. contemporary book. I just say, oh, come on, please. You know, uh, an academic tome, you, you expect yeah. footnotes. <laughs> you've, you've, got the, you've got the title, you've got the possibility of an epigraph. You have a lot of ways that you can, you ought to be able to shorthand what you need to communicate to the, to the reader, I would think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Youth and Age is on 46. This is another one I want, uh, I would ask you to read I, because I love the perspective expressed in it. Um, oh boy, here we go. This is my growing subgenre of middle age poems coming out. <laughs> <laughs> you see me put on my reading glasses. What 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 page? Like what page is that? Okay. 
Oh, but it says something important. Well, it can't be helped, right? Right. So anyway, you want me to read this one? Yes. Okay. Let's see which one. Okay. All right. At least it's not the narrator's not taking a bunch of pills in this one. That's good. So here we, here we go. <clears throat> Youth and age. Let them have the fashionable cloak of sorrow, its dark fabric too heavy for the sun. Leave them despair rendered for the stage and the phrased anger of protest. Leave them the nights. They can have, too, the papers consigned to trash, conceits abandoned, the urgent list of tasks not undertaken, the sack of mail unsorted, the new news unread. Let them have the next essential thing and the noise it carries. You'll keep silence. Keep the morning, keep the parchment of hours that charts the sky. You'll keep the Inca dove, the postman butterfly, the passion of Christ flower bloomed red by the waterside for one day only. Keep the whiskered dog, otherwise still, who slaps its great tail once, twice, thrice to announce it too still lives and too is nameless. Keep in your percussive heart their contempt at your antiquation, the priceless gift of dismissal. Keep greedily the groans of the body that register your here, the body you've settled into for a lifetime, the shoulder that freights a box of simple goods up the hill, the hand that grips the key to swing the gate, the legs that step stubbornly forward rather than dance in circles. I don't know who that old man is. I have no idea. I have no idea. <laughs> That's not just true of the gap between uh, boomers and millennials. That's true of the gap between all people of the older generation versus the the younger generation it's when you're young you're so busy striving 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 right. striving that you don't appreciate the little things that you have more time to appreciate when you're older and have more time like the beauty of this or the love of your dog or uh, you know whatever it is that that fills up your day and that's a dynamic obviously in the arts specifically as well right mm-hmm. uh uh, uh Youth, excitement, energy, the concept of new ideas versus versus getting older. But you, know, you got to be realistic about this, too. One, 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 the danger of getting older is you lose, lose a little of that edginess, a little of that anger. Mm-hmm. Um, start taking things for granted. So it's a balance. It's yeah. a balance. And the poem is trying to – I mean, the poem is at least a little bit tongue-in-cheek as well, even though it, it comes across as quite serious. But, yeah. You know. At the end of Tennessee, there are two poems that characterize <laughs> life and time winding down. Toward the end, without fear or mourning, just an acceptance of the naturalness now you, of you've it been all. Dis- you've been distinguishing these sections. So, what do you think of the Tennessee part of the book versus the others? How would you how would you place it? I don't sense that you can put the stamp of Tennessee on it and say yeah. this is Tennessee, you know. But you just happen to put it into that section. Maybe that's why I'm not selling any books. I should, <laughs> I should mention Tennessee in here. Go to Nashville and perk this thing up a little bit. Yeah, uh, They were, When I'm Gone and Notation on the Last Light of the Year. Well, those are pretty short. You want, to, you want me to yeah, go hit, ahead. hit both of those? Okay, yeah. so these are the last, these are the final two poems. In the Tennessee in the, section. In the Tennessee uh, bestiary of the book. Uh-huh. And um, this is called When I'm, and there are two more lighthearted fun ones. Uh-huh. This is called When I'm Gone. Front lights will still glow across the porch I built, fail again against the winter night. Moon and stars will hang sharply in determined positions of gods and fortunes. The dog, no longer young, but still painless in her joints, 
will sit attentively on earth on a loose leash, accustomed to the house down the road no longer new, flickering mirage that once so disturbed her peace. She'll be dreaming of someone else awaiting someone else, as will my wife. This all as it should be, more ornamental bones in the frozen ground, the world spinning towards spring, even as it seems so still. I like it because it's rational <laughs> and not romantic. It tells it like it is. My dog Lucy better not do that, though. I'm telling you, she better just <laughs> keep on mourning. All right. This is this is the last poem in that section. Uh, so it tries to bring a little closure to that part of the book. It's called Notation on the Last Light of the Year. <clears throat> it's a New Year's, I guess it's a New Year's Eve poem. Perhaps another hour suffused a pine cloud on an ominously warm day turning toward its night. Time to follow dog Lucy for a few final feints and circles in the mud and unconquerable leaves. Time for these simple and marginal notes. Twelve months ago I prayed to the sky for one more year, the comforting cloak of status quo I cherish. When I wore it, it didn't fit as it had, softness threadbare and frayed. Pick your own senseless symbol, friend, for the light is fading. Time for a last lope, no coat required, just to growl a bit and chase the ball beneath our graying heaven. Time, just, to toast our helpless hope and your health, sir, and the darkness into which the old passes, the darkness from which the new begins. Did Lucy accompany you everywhere on your feral journey, or did she just stay at home? Only in my guilty conscience, that's all. (laughs) Otherwise, no. We'll take another break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Tennessee Early Childhood Training Alliance, or TECTA, works to improve the quality of child care in Tennessee by establishing a statewide training and professional recognition system. Through TECTA, child care providers may be eligible for free orientation training, tuition support for early childhood academic courses, and networking opportunities, as well as other services. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Tennessee's farm families contribute to our state's economy, nutrition, and culture. The Tennessee Century Farms Program at MTSU's Center for Historic Preservation acknowledges farms that have been in the same family at least 100 years. To date, the program has certified more than 1,500 farms. There is no cost to nominate a farm or be part of the program. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The Feral Condition is the name of the book. It's the latest book of poems by Dr. Gaylord Brewer of the Department of English. Uh, In Costa Rica, we encounter a toucan, an iguana, a mockingbird, a falcon, a gecko. And uh, I I love the poem also about the realization how tied we are to technology and how hard it is to escape it even when we have no access to it. What were you thinking at that particular moment? Were you yearning for the technology or were you glad you didn't have access to the technology? Exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, Both. I think it was only, I think it was only four little days and, and yet uh, it seemed like you know, it, was, uh, 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 it was excruciating. And I'm not even that much of a, of a geek. I do check my email pretty regularly mm-hmm. and I do call in uh, home with some regularity. But it was interesting because I knew – I knew that the you know the lights were going to come back on, so to speak, and it's it's harder and harder to get off the grid these days. Yeah. So, um, just kind of rolled with it and and, and enjoyed it. So mm-hmm. you had the withdrawal feelings. You had tech withdrawal at first, or computer withdrawal, and then you sort of got used. Oh, to it, it wasn't so bad. I mean, quite honestly, I, I probably exaggerate the 
the effect a little bit for the sake of the poem. You didn't have the DTs or anything. No, like no, no, that. no, no, no. And my computer is working fine. And if you, and if you're if you're a bird geek like I am, or you want chance encounters with animals, Costa Rica is the place for you. So mm. I, my day was always busy, uh, you know, hunting a toucan around the property or or, or something something silly mm. that I was glad no one was watching me do. Involving animals or insects or birds. Were you uh, out in the jungle as opposed to in an urban area of this, the country? Uh, that time I was at a really nice place. It's it's a it's a it's a kind of gated community, which is not usually my thing. But in this case, it's really kind of an, a, a really nice isolated little world mm-hmm. of uh, six or eight houses for artists. And the nice I've been there on I guess three occasions. I've been lucky to be there. Um, it's it's near a little town you would never have heard of that has no tourist orientation whatsoever. So there's no reason to be there, which is great. Which is really different for yeah. Costa Rica, which yeah. depends heavily on tourism as a nation. Yeah. Other than, you know, three or four out-of-place-looking artists walking around in this little town, I don't think I saw I don't think I saw a tourist ever there. Now on to a different sensual pleasure. This was published in 2015. This is not new, but it's right. called The Poet's Guide to Food, Drink, and Desire. And it's a cookbook that you put together with a whole bunch of, of recipes in it for entrees and desserts yeah. and what prompted you to put together a cookbook? I have no idea where it came from. It just fell out of my back pocket. I, I woke up and I started writing down some duck recipes and writing little little experiences around them and it was all secretive. I didn't tell my wife about it because I didn't think anything was going to come of it. But then after a while, plus when I'm starting a book, I don't like to talk about it at all. I'm very, I'm, I get very paranoid secretive about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, I mean, I had to tell her why I was like baking pies every every day for 10 <laughs> days in a row or you know things my, my my behavior was getting more and more eccentric so i finally taught her what was happening and it, it and then i just kept pushing it i thought it came together kind of in kind of interesting way are you a good uh, cook uh i would say i'm a um a, a, a average to above average home cook mm-hmm. you know and that's that's an important distinction my mom keeps saying oh you should have been a chef well that's that's just you know that's that's a whole different world it's above right? your pay grade different different, right? different world all different dynamic can you compare the sensual pleasures of poetry and food? How are they alike and how well, are I would they different? Think, I would think that that's covered in the cookbook, I mean, as the title suggests. Right. You know, from the get-go, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm playing around with that, that idea of sensuality. They're all comparable. Um, and making certain analogies. And I talk about, I talk about, po- well, there's quite a bit of poetry in the book, too. Right. Um, because as, as I began to look, I realized, good Lord, I've written a lot of poems about food. Mm-hmm. And originally, I was going to use a bunch of poems by other people. And I realized, well, I have so much. I might as well just stick with my. I mean, you know, it was, it was too much. So I just, I'll just, I'll just excerpt my own poems. And so they form a kind of um, separate narrative, I think, that comments to some degree on the on the on the book as it goes along and on the, on the process as it mm-hmm. goes along. But I always exhort my students to try to put food in their poems, and I think they think I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. But it's such, a, it's such a, again, such a sensual tasty kind of thing to put in the center of the heart of a poem, whether it be a piece of fruit or the process of, of making something or getting your hands dirty in flour or whatever the case may be. Have we lost touch with the sensuality of eating because we don't all sit at the family table anymore and we're rushing through the drive through at the fast food joint and uh, well, there's eating no de- corporate there's, burgers? There's no denying that. Oh, I think I think the pleasures of the table have uh, have, have remained and are making a nice little renaissance, certainly, uh, you know, in, in some, some circles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. From yeah. Apologia for the Martini Glass, we yeah. have, yeah. but even they, the doubters, league of unwilling, unable, uncool, acknowledge sexy stiletto neck, cold allure, like nothing else in life between trembling fingers. 
I, I, Good Lord. Uh, who? <laughs> I, I think the Rat Pack would appreciate that, don't you? Well, there's the Martini. Uh, I'm a bit of a Martini connoisseur, if I may say so, and I was taught by a couple of masters. So I, there had to be a chapter on it, and I, I, pl- I put it pretty late in the book and sort of tease all the way through about it. You mm-hmm. know, at a certain points, so if you know, if you haven't gotten to chapter, is it chapter twenty-two? I think twenty-two. Twenty-two. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I joked about it so much that I actually remember that. Um, that the, the book. That's. I wonder if that chapter almost is kind of set up as the centerpiece of the book in some ways, mm-hmm. but from which the from which the um, the food recipes sort of radiate outward from there. Yeah, but well, you you do have you know mint julep recipes and other types of. Uh, Beverage recipes. One of my favorite chapters on the drinks is the Bloody Mary chapter in which I take Kingsley Amos's English um, recipe and sort of uh, have a competition with what I consider the best American recipe, i.e. mine, and we, we do a little taste test. That was a fun chapter to uh, write. 24. Oh. Uncle Sam versus John Bull. And I think the winner was inconclusive. Uh, we, we, it was a good fight. And, so you, uh, you don't know whether no. the Americans or the British make the better Bloody Marys. I, I ended up enjoying both of them quite a bit, and after a while, it hardly even seemed to matter. Does oh. it matter which kind of vodka <laughs> you use? Should it be Smirnoff or no, Stoli or Absolut? Okay, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose all my all my listeners here. <laughs> I'm not a vodka snob, but I'm a little bit of a gin snob, but not vodka at all. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of mythology about vodka. Mm-hmm. I, I, I drink Smirnoffs. Well, how no. do you feel about Appletinis and all of the sweet stuff they've no. tried to put in it? No. That's all I can say to that. Exactly. That's kind of covered in there to some degree too. The things were not things were, you know, the the horrible transgressions we're not going to be participating in today. It, this wasn't systematic, but I've I've tended as I get older to be writing alternating books of poetry with other things. Mm-hmm. Like I published a short novel that was the earlier prose book before this one between books of poetry. So it's nice to do some different things too. Are you a better poet or a better gourmand? I'd like to see them competent in both both areas. The latest book is The Feral Condition, Poems by Gaylord Brewer from Negative Capability Press. The 2005 uh, gourmet memoir is The Poet's Guide to Food, Drink, and Desire, and this was published by Stephen F. Austin State University Press because we don't have a state press here at State State University U. (laughs) Dr. Gaylord Brewer, thank you for being our guest. Thank you so much. A pleasure. We'll be right back. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. The Concrete Industry Management Program at MTSU fills the need for trained personnel who know concrete technology and techniques. Our alumni go into the marketplace grounded in basic math and science and able to promote products or services related to the industry. Our participation in the academic common market ensures talented students in other states a chance to enroll on an in-state tuition basis. This is Dr. Heather Brown, director of the program. To find out more information on this or other university programs, visit mtsunews.com. Gina Fan has the middle moment. The Japanese language has nearly two dozen words for all the shades of indigo blue. Perhaps there'll soon be a new word for true blue, too. Now that eight MTSU graduates are joining the prestigious Japan Exchange and Teaching Program in August to live and work throughout that country for a year. 
Tai Ebal, coordinator for the JET program at the Consulate General of Japan in Nashville, explains how MTSU's record number of participants will be jetting off on this new adventure. We want people who are passionate about Japan. That's one of the reasons that MTSU students stand out is because you do have such a strong Japanese language program there on campus. It's been a, a great school to work with. Particularly this year, it's really impressive numbers. MTSU is, is usually you know, one of the powerhouses in the state as far as reliability that, that we're going to send several students each year on the JET program. But this year, the eight graduates kind of brings it almost up to national level. They're in, the, in that top uh, percentile. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU on the record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's marketing and communications office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.